Good morning, Maple Grove. Awesome. You know, it's true. The king is among us, and his glory surrounds us, and his fire is falling as we sing. The Savior is for us. The Savior is for us. The Savior is for us, and his love is victorious, and revival is rising in his name. I I love that song. And I love the truths that that song proclaims. Truths that are at the center of the Christmas story. Truths about God's great desire, not only to be among us, but to to live inside of us. And that's the good news of Christmas, amen? Okay, let's do this. For the month of December, we're in the series of conversations that we're calling Christmas Playlist. Because as we saw last week, Songs have been a part of the Christmas story from the very beginning. Yes, joyfully singing is a natural response to the wonder and mystery of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Now this morning we're going to look at another song on God's Christmas playlist. It was written by a guy who wrote his first song very late in life. But before we go there, I thought we would do a, a little Christmas song trivia. And here's how it's going to work. I'm going to read the question. And after that, I'm going to read the answers, and only after that will you shout out what you think the answer is, all right? I'm going to read the question, and I'm going to read the answers. It's multiple choice. Okay. That's my family. All right. Okay. And what we're going to, keep your own score, all right? But I got to finish reading before you shout it out and you keep your own score. In, in which country was Silent Night composed? A, England, B, Austria, or C, France? Shout out your answer. Okay. It was B, Austria in 1816. Question number two. Where do the kings say they come from in We Three Kings? Europe? Hey, you jumped the gun. No. Penalty. No, okay. I, okay. I got to finish, right? I will, I will subtract you, okay? Um, Europe, B, Egypt, C, the West, or D, the Orient? We three kings of Orient. Okay. All right, here's the next one. Number three. Wait till I finish reading all the answers. The carol God, rest ye merry gentlemen, promises tidings of what to its listeners? Comfort and warmth, comfort and joy, rest and relaxation, pleasure and rest. Shout out your... All right. Good job. What was the first Christmas song to be broadcast on the radio? Oh, Holy Night, Silent Night, or Joy to the World? Shout out your answer. All right. It was Oh, Holy Night. In 1906, a Canadian inventor created the first radio broadcast. In 1906, he read passages from the Bible, and then he played this song, which they probably wouldn't do today, right? And first broadcast, hey, let's read the Bible, and let's uh, play this song. Okay, here's another good one. Who kept time with the little drummer boy? Lamb and goat, goat and mule, goat and ox, or ox and lamb? The ox and lamb kept time, pull rump-a-pum-pum, rump-a-pum-pum. All right. Okay, this is a little bit tougher. Who spoke to the little lamb, do you hear what I hear? A, bright moon, B, shepherd boy, C, night wind, or D, mighty king? 
said the night wind to the little lamb. Do you see what I see? And, and bonus point, what did the night wind see? A star, a star, dancing in the night with his tail as big as a kite. Okay, all right, good job, good job. Okay, keep your score. And angels we have heard on high, who echoes the joyous strain? Shepherds, stars, wind, or mountains? Shout out your answer. Angels we have heard on high sweetly singing o'er the plains and the mountains in reply, echoing the joyous strain. Here's a tough one. How many total gifts are given in the 12 days of Christmas? A, 246, B, 364, or C, 78, D, 424? Shout out your answer. It's B, 364. Go home and do the math. It's true. Okay? Number nine. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas with every Christmas song I sing, every Christmas gift I wrap, every Christmas card I write, every Christmas pie I eat. Shout out your answer. C. C. With every Christmas card I write. And here's another one. It's the, in what year did Hark the Herald Angels sing first appear? A, 1677, B, 1739, C, 1812. It's B, right? Y'all knew that one, right? So, who got at least five right? Raise your hand. Who's got a score of five? Okay, six? Okay, that's it? No one got more than six? Okay, who got more than seven? And the winner is? Mae McKinnon. Good job. How many did you get? Seven. Good job. Good job. All right, all right. Good stuff. Y'all did wonderful, right? Again, songs and Christmas just seem to go together. And I have no doubt there'll be more songs coming in the future. But to be honest, I'm really becoming partial to God's Christmas playlist. Like Mary's song of praise from last week, a song that Mary sang where she magnifies the Lord, proclaiming the good news of, of God's care, the good news of God's might, the good news of God's mercy, the good news of God's way, the good news of God's promises. L- listen, God pays attention to you. God is mindful of you. God takes notice of you. God cares. God's might. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen? Nothing is impossible with God. God's mercy, it's new every morning. I'm so glad it is. God's way, he uses the humble to do great things. And God's promises, God always keeps his promises, right? All the time. All the time. Let's do this, the second song on God's Christmas playlist. Luke 1, 68 through 79, praise be to the Lord. And we're going to tackle the same way we did last week. We're going to talk about the writer and then look at the song. Before we do that, a brief sidebar, all right? Uh, next week, uh, we're going to be voting on our upcoming budget. Uh, I have some here that'll be in the foyer after church so you can look at it, but that's not for you to look at during my sermon, right? You know, here you want to listen to me. But we're going to vote on the budget next week. It's a little bit less than last year. Um, our, our giving was down. We reduced the budget a little bit. And, and, uh, and here's what I know. That if everybody gives their best, if everybody would pray the simple prayer, Lord, tell me what percentage of my income would you consider as generous, we'd have no problem meeting our budget, right? 
we'd have no problem exceeding our budget. And so I just want to encourage you as the new year comes, as we vote on the budget, right? And just say, hey, here's what I want. God, what percentage do you think would be generous for me to donate to the church in order to fulfill his ministry at Maple Grove? If you pray that prayer, then we're going to be all set for next year, right? If we all give our best, then great things will happen. Amen? All right, I have two of you. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. And what we're going to do right now, one of my favorite times, we're going to take two and greet those around you. Good job. I'm going to go ahead and pray us back in. You all do such a great job at that. Someday if I'm feeling generous, I'm going to say that and say, hey, we're done. Let's just go home. Right? But not today. <laughs> not today. Uh, let's pray. God, we love you and we're so grateful God, to be your people, we're so grateful that the song we sang is true, that you are among us, God, that you're for us. God, we need to be reminded of that because sometimes life is hard and difficult. And God, right now, I lift up anyone who's having challenges and struggles in their own life or in a family member's life. God, I pray that, that you would show up and they would see you show up in your power and your glory. And God, be with us as we dive into your word. God, I, I pray that uh, uh, we listen attentively and we leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's look at the writer of this uh, song in Luke chapter 1. And before we look at Luke chapter 1 to see Zechariah's backstory, we got to look at some words from the prophet Malachi. Because Zechariah's backstory begins over 400 years before he was born. And I know you all woke up this morning and said, we go to church, I'm hoping to hear some words from Malachi. Well, I didn't want to disappoint you. I understand, our God is sovereign. He rules over times, over nations, over languages, over cultures, over races, and genders of people. And listen, our God doesn't just know the future, our God rules the future, right? He doesn't just know it, he rules over the future, amen? amen. And listen, everything always works out according to his plan. Whatever God says is going to happen, it's going to happen. And throughout scriptures, we see God declaring and announcing some future event that's going to occur through his prophets. One of those is in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapters 3 and 4. And listen, this word from God in Malachi will be the final word that God speaks to his people until we pick up in Luke chapter 1, 400 years later. So in Malachi 3, verse 1, we see the beginning of Zechariah's backstory as the sovereign king of the universe says, look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Again, God is speaking, and he's saying, I'm coming, but before I come into human history, a messenger, a preacher, a prophet will come, and he'll proclaim and announce my coming. Next. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And this Old Testament prophecy about Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, who I like to refer to as JTB, right? The JTP was coming as a messenger to prepare the way for the coming of Christ the Messiah. And once he prepared the way, which he did, then Jesus would appear in the temple. And Malachi ends his book by saying the following about this prophet who would prepare the way. He says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah, his preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. In other words, this prophet, John the Baptist, will bring about a great revival among God's people. 
And then after Malachi proclaims this truth, there are 400 years of silence. No book of the Bible is written. No prophet speaks, just silence. And listen, many begin to wonder if God's provision has left the nation forever. And so one generation to the next becomes a little more stiff-necked, a little more hard-hearted and cold. And people aren't walking with God as they should. And yet there's a remnant, a few devoted to God, but it's still 400 years of silence. Then everything begins to change in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We read, in the time of Herod, king of Judah. And this will be the guy history knew as Herod the Great. He was a puppet king of the Roman Empire. He was crafty and cruel. He didn't love God. He didn't love God's people. He's the same guy that Matthew said would slaughter all the babies under the year of two in Bethlehem in order to kill Jesus. And this is the setting, the times of Herod, for the greatest event in human history, the coming of Christ. Uh, one of my commentators wrote, wrote this. Herod's world was cruel, materialistic, Hateful, exploitive, cynical, and filled with despair. Well, that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Jewish people suffered much at the hands of the rulers. When Herod and Rome were not oppressing them, their own religious leaders were. The religious life of the Jews, an integral part of their social and political life, had lost its vitality and helpfulness. The Pharisees had made their traditions a burden almost impossible to bear. And the Sadducees were using religion to amass a personal fortune. End quote. Now, it didn't look like a time or a setting when anything great or significant would happen. In fact, most people had given up all hope that things would ever get better, that things would ever turn around. And listen, when it came to faith and following God's commands, many people felt, why bother? What's the point? Like, what difference does it make to do the right thing if things don't turn out the way that I want them to turn out? You ever felt that way? However, I've mentioned there is still a faithful remnant. We're about to meet two of them. There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, the term very old can mean different things to different people, right? When I was a teenager, very old was like 20 or 30. You know, when I was 20 or 30, very old was like 60 or 70. Now, very old is like 170 to me now, right? You know, and I'm not making this up. Like, I don't know where, the old, where all the old people went, right? I mean, they used to be everywhere I looked with somebody old. Now, it's like, where are the old people? Because they all kind of look like me or younger, right? I mean, doctors look like they're babies, right? Like they're middle school. You talk to a doctor, like, are you allowed out without your mom's permission, doc? You know, it's crazy. But anyhow, anyhow, uh, they were both very old. It was meant from a human perspective, when it came to having children and being parents, that ship had sailed a long time ago. Luke continues. One day, Zechariah was serving in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as was a custom, the priest, he had, he was... And as what, amen, amen. (laughs) As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Okay, so what do these verses tell us about our writer? Quite a lot. 
Let's like with Mary, what they tell us are the very reasons why God chose to give Zachariah and Elizabeth a part in the Christmas story, right? And I know they don't get much airtime today, right? They don't show up on any Christmas cards. They don't, they don't show up any nativity scenes. But listen, Zachariah and Elizabeth played a huge role in the coming of Christ. Hey, does anybody remember what the qualities Mary had that enabled God to unleash his favor on her life? She had what kind of a spirit? She had a humble spirit, and she had faith in the God of the impossible. All right? Good job. Okay, first of all, what do we know about him? He was an elderly priest or pastor, right? And not only, Elizabeth was not just a pastor's wife, she came from a pastor's family. Again, they're both very old, well advanced in years, probably in their 80s, well beyond childbearing and bouncing babies on their knee. And emotionally, this was devastating, right? Not only because of the emotional turmoil because they wanted a child and couldn't have one, but also because people would think in that culture that if they could not have children, then they must have done something wrong and God was, act, was actually punishing them. So people were talking about them. Oh, I wonder what's, what have they done that has caused God to close up her womb? There must be something. And financially, this was dangerous. Unlike our day, there was no assisted living centers. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. When you got old, your children and your sons specifically would take care of you. And having no sons was very dangerous when you got old. So Zachariah was an old guy. But listen to him. Uh, we see illustrated one of my favorite truths in scriptures. And it's this. It's never too late to be used by God. It's never too late to be used by God. Understand, no matter how old you are, no matter the road you have traveled, or how many opportunities you have screwed up, if you're still breathing, and if not, raise your hand, we'll have someone come help you, but if you're still breathing, it's never too late to be used by God. Amen? Never too late. Never too late. Zechariah is also a righteous guy. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Righteous in God's eyes, careful to do what? To obey all. Not just some, not just the convenient, but careful to obey all of God's commandments. Next, he was a faithful servant. I understand, even though things did not go his way, even though God had not answered their prayers, for having a child, they did not turn their backs on God. God, we know that you're the one who opens and closes wombs. We believe in you. We believe in the Bible. If you would give us a baby, that would be awesome. We'd love to be parents. But even if you do not, we're still going to love you, we're still going to worship you, and we're still going to serve you. And Maple Grove, they did. I mean, they're in their 80s. And they're still in ministry. They're still worshiping. They're still praying. They're still serving. And you know what fires me up as a pastor? When I see people in the church retire and see that as an opportunity, wow, I have so much more time to serve God's church, right? That fires me up. And they're not thinking about, well, I got more time on the beach or more time on a lake house. I have more time to serve the church. And we have a lot of people like that in this body right here. 
I mean, our elders are that way. If you never met Steve and, and uh, Steve Bailey and what's his name? Uh, I, who are those guys, right? But Steve and Jeff, that's them, right? That's other people in this church. They go, hey, you know. and, and you know what bums me out is when people retire from their job and go, I'm going to retire from church. I've done my time. It's time for me to have fun. And that kind of, that kind of bumps me out. And that wasn't Zachariah and Elizabeth, right? Doesn't mean you can't have fun. Doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. But we have to have our priorities right. Amen? Luke continues, one day Zachariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. One day he was serving God in the temple. You see, when we serve in this church, you know who we're serving? Who are we serving? We're serving God, right? You know, who am I serving today? God. Who are the people in the booth serving today? They're serving God. Who were Leela and Gentile serving today? They were serving God. Who are the people and children? They were serving God. Who were the people who came and helped with trees and yard work? They were serving God, right? Who are the people who bought presents to take them? They were serving God. Right? That's who we're serving. And that's what motivate us, right? Because sometimes people may not feel worth it. <laughs> right? But God is always worth it. Amen? And let me just say this. You know, if you have not found a place to serve, there's a place for you. you know, we definitely would love to have, I, I can't, if I could sing, I'd be up there every week singing, man. It'd be crazy. It'd be awesome. It'd be amazing. Right? I can't sing. Right? Um, uh, maybe you can sing. You know, maybe you can play an instrument. We love to build up that team, right? You know, if you have those talents and abilities, hey, let me know. You want to serve in children's ministry? If you don't know where to serve, hey, just let us know. Hey, I like to serve somewhere, right? And know that when you're doing it, when we're doing it, we're, we're serving God. Luke continues, as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And, and uh, I... I I got a picture that's kind of a, kind of what the, it looked like back then. You know, this is the temple. In there, you had you had the holy place and you had the holy of holies. And, and you had different courtyards where Gentiles could go so far, women could go so far, men could go so far, priests could go so far, right? And, and then God's presence is in the holy of holies. And at this time, there are approximately twenty-one thousand priests divided into 24 divisions of 900 each. And each division would spend two weeks a year serving in Jerusalem. And when they came together, they would roll dice to see who would get the big job. And the big job they wanted to do was to go in the holy place and to throw coals on the altar of incense, right? And once you got to do that, you're declared holy and blessed and you never got to do it again. And the whole goal was to be one of these priests. And that's how it worked. And every year, Zechariah, maybe for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the dice are rolled, and guess what? He never gets chosen. I mean, he's like the guy in gym class, and they're picking teams for kickball, and he never gets chosen. He's getting pretty old. He's starting to wonder, will I ever get picked? Will it ever happen? Will I ever get to serve God in that way? Because some guys never do get picked. And then one day they roll the dice and they go, Zechariah, it's your turn. And, and so he, he goes into the holy place and he, he throws some coals on the altar of incense and, 
what that symbolizes is prayer. In fact, Revelation 5.9 talks about, like, like right now, you know, I had an opportunity to pray with someone as she walked in the building today, and, and Revelation 5.8 says that right, right now before God's throne, like right now, as I'm talking, there's this golden bowl. When you and I pray, those prayers are in that golden bowl. And when I prayed this morning with someone, when you prayed this morning, your prayers were in this golden bowl that's before the altar of the living God. Amen? I mean, what a beautiful picture of prayer. It's this big moment. Drops the incense, closes his eyes and prays, opens his eyes, and here's what happens. When Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. No kidding, right? It's an angel. The angel said, what angels always say in the Bible when people see him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayers. That's right. The dude's in his 80s, and he's still praying, asking God for a child. Question, is it okay to, to keep asking? Yeah, it is. No problem at all. Ask and keep asking. Knock and keep knocking, right? Seek and keep seeking. Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you're name him John, which means the Lord is gracious. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I mean, come on, don't you just love it? Don't you love to watch God show up in someone's life and do his God thing? Especially for those who have waited so long and have been so faithful, even though things have not gone their way. Even though things have not gone according to the script that they had written. I mean, they were writing scripts for their life, and God kept setting down revision, revision, revision. But they're faithful. For it will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And this is good, right? I mean, Herod thinks he's something special. Herod the Great. But the angel says, no, not really. John will be great. Sure, Herod will make more money, build more buildings, subjugate more people, have more followers. But he won't give his life to humbly serving God. Zachariah's son will. And so he will be the truly great one. And understand, brothers and sisters, we must continually fight the temptation to let greatness be defined by the standards of this world and by people like Herod. We must continually fight the temptation to let greatness be defined by the standards of the world and people like Herod. You're great if you have the right job. You're great if you live in the right house. You're great if you went to the right school. You're great if you have the right number of digits in your financial portfolio. But listen, if you love God and you serve God, if you walk faithfully with him, being and doing whatever he asks you to be and do, you are great in the eyes of God. And listen, his eyes are the ones that determine true greatness, and his eyes are what matter when all is said and done and you and I leave this planet. I love it. Zachariah is no one from nowhere doing in the eyes of the world nothing, and God says, I heard your prayers. Here comes your son. He'll be grace to you. Amazing. He'll be great in my eyes. And may that be said of all of us and of our children, of our children's children, that we're great not in the eyes of the world, 
or each other, but great in the eyes of God. It'll turn many Israelites to the Lord. It will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah who prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children. He'll cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Sounds like a little bit like Malachi right there. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now. My wife is well along in years. Probably not a wise thing to say. I hope his wife wasn't listening. I'm old, and let me tell you, my wife, she's really old, right? In other words, we're too old. It's too late. A much different response than Mary had. And then the angel, I think the angel was a little bit riled up. And I think the last thing you want to do is get an angel riled up. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to you to bring you this good news. I love it. Gabriel says, seriously, bro? Like, do you know who I am? (laughs) And do you know who sent me? But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and able to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So if you're taking notes, note to self, when a huge angel appears to you and tell you that something is going to happen, don't ask how. Say, wow, that's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Amen? <laughs> Bottom line, God did not like it when Zachariah doubted his message, and he doesn't like it when we doubt his message either. Amen? He stayed in the temple for so long that people were wondering, hey, did the old guy have a heart attack or something? <laughs> Finally, the voiceless prophet emerges and and he spends the next few minutes attempting to convey what happened. And yes, this is the very first game of charades, right? He comes out and he goes, oh, you're gaining weight. No, 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 no. Elizabeth, Elizabeth, she's going to have a baby. How can it be? It's impossible. I know, I know. Luke continues. That was pretty wild. <laughs> I... <laughs> when his time of service was completed, I don't know what that was about. When his time of service was completed, I like that too, right? Finish his job. He didn't say, well, you know, an angel talked to me, so I'm tapping out early. No. He finished his job. Returned home. After this wife, Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he's looked upon me with favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And for five months, Elizabeth is just worshiping God, rubbing her belly, making baby blankets, setting up the nursery, and rejoicing that she has a mute husband, right? For nine months, she wins every... Anybody like to have a mute... Never mind, like a mute button. Nine months, he can't say a word. And let's fast forward nine months to Luke chapter 1, verse 57. When it's time for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son, her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they're going to name him after his father, Zachariah, which makes sense, right? He hasn't had a son. Let's maintain the, uh, the, the family line, the family name. And, uh, but his mother spoke up and said, no. 
He's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among you relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he'd like to name the child. Charades around too, right? They forgot that he could hear. And so they bring this wooden tray. He takes this wooden tray and he writes on it, to everyone's astonishment, this phrase, his name is John. The Lord is gracious. And what a perfect name for Zachariah and Elizabeth's son. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak praising God. A really good use of her tongue, right? To praise God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone heard this and wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. After nine months, his silence is broken. After 400 years, God's silence is broken. And he once again speaks to his people. See, Zechariah is like the last Old Testament prophet and the first New Testament prophet. And that's a writer. An elderly pastor and priest, righteous guy, faithful servant, who experienced some amazing things. And, and here's this song. If you guys would stand, we're going to read it together. We each got a part. I go first. This is his song. After the birth of his son. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. Now we'll be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. He will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It will shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death. It will guide us into the path of peace. And you can be seated. And Luke concludes with these words. And so the child grew up and became strong in spirit. John lived in the desert until the time when he came out to preach to Israel. 2,000 years ago, Maple Grove, after 400 years of silence, the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah telling us what Christmas is all about. Number one, Christmas is about God's story, not our story. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. You know, it's been so easy for Zechariah uh, to try to make this story all about him and his newborn son. And who could blame him, Right? I mean, it's the day they waited for, hoped for, and prayed for for decades, and now it came about. But in the 12 verses that make up his song, only two of them talk about his son, and of those two, his son is not even the main character. Instead, it's the Lord, the main character. And listen, the main character is critical to any story. Like, if you cast the wrong character as the main character, you miss the whole story. Let me try and explain, all right? Who would you say is the main character in The Wizard of Oz, right? Is it, is it Dorothy? 
Is she the main character? Or is it the coroner in Munchkin Land? As coroner, I must suffer. I thoroughly examined her, and she's not only merely dead, she really is sincerely dead. You know what a ver means? I know how to find a rhyme. I, I did. Anybody know what a ver means? I had no idea. I know it rhymes with her, and that's why I used it. But it means to affirm or declare positively. So if you want to use that today. I aver. Okay, you learned something you didn't want to learn today. Anyhow, right? But if the story was about him, right, we'd miss the whole meaning behind the Wizard of Oz, right? We completely miss it. Here's what I'm trying to say. We can be an excellent supporting element or character in God's story, but we make a very lousy main character. Amen? Turn to the person next to you and say, I make a lousy main character. Okay, you're not allowed to look at them and say, you make a lousy character, right? I got to tell you, I'm a lousy main character in my story. When life is all about me, my wants, my desires, my pain, my sorrow, my whatever, it doesn't go so well. However, when God's the main character, and his story's the main story, it goes much better, right? Because that story's always going. That story can't be stopped. You see, Christmas is not about you. It's not about me. It's God's story, not our story. Listen, when John the Baptist grew up, he so got this, right? I mean, there's a time in John 3 when, when a bunch of people are leaving John the Baptist and going to Jesus, and some of his guys are like, hey, everybody's going to Jesus, and no one's coming to our place anymore. And what he said was this, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater, and I must become less, right? You know, if we can be filled with joy at everybody else's success... And if we could make Jesus greater, we'd have a lot more joy, right? Like if when, you, if, if when you went through Facebook, rather than like, oh, I wish I went on their vacation. I wish I had that house. What, what, what if you said, wow, I'm so happy for them. God, thank you for blessing their life, right? I mean, there's so much good we could do, right? So many, if we celebrated everybody's success, we'd be celebrating all the time. Amen. Christmas is about God's story, not our story. It's about God's timing, not our timing. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of the servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. And when I look at the words long ago and now, it makes me think about time, right? Because those, those words are about time. And, and God's people have been waiting for decades, thousands of years rather, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for Christmas morning. They're constantly asking, hoping, and wondering, is it time yet? Is it time yet? Can we open the gift of Messiah yet? Is he here yet? Is he here yet? And I'm sure many times in their history they thought, hey, this is the perfect time. Like when their captives in Egypt or in Babylon or when David expanded the kingdom or when Solomon built the temple. But God waited. Because his timing is not their timing. And God knew that the perfect time for the Messiah to come in all of human history was first century Palestine. Galatians 4 4 says this But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. 
And, and there's four things that's good to know, like, hey, why was that time perfect? Like, why not the day when we have social media and all this technology, right? Here's some reasons why that was the perfect time. Uh, one, you had, a, you had a universal language. You had Roman roads, right, that made traveling easier. You have what's called the, the Pax Romana, which means the, the Roman peace. Basically, from 27 B.C. to 180 A.D., Rome maintained peace throughout its entire empire. Right? So you had the language, you had the roads for travel, you had the peace so they could travel, and then you had a growing disillusionment among God's people, among people in general, because philosophy and power and government and religion had failed them, had failed to provide real answers to life. And so this was the perfect time. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God timing, not our timing. To be honest, I struggle with that at times. Do you? I mean, I can be like an impatient child waiting for Christmas. I mean, I want what I want, and I want it yesterday. God, why do I have to wait? God, why do I always have to keep on struggling? God, when will you turn things around? No, God's timing is not our timing. But listen, his timing is always perfect. He's never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. There's a time for everything. And a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. He's made everything beautiful in its time. And here's what I'm trying to say. And this is huge. Like, like some of you, this is, what you need to, this is why God brought you here this morning. Don't let God's timing cause you to doubt his promises. Just because it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean it's not going to happen, right? God always keeps his promises. So don't let his timing cause you to doubt his promises such that you tap out on him. You tap out on his plan. His promises are true. Our God comes through every time. Christmas is about God's story, not our story. God's timing, not our timing. It's about God's gift, not our effort. In the song, Zachariah says, that God redeems, God rescues, God saves, God forgives, God pours out his mercy. Maple Grove, it's his gift, not our effort. And what good news that is, right? Amen? That's his gift, not our effort. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. See, Christmas is not about what we do or don't do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done. Get it? Good. It's about his gift, not our effort, his story, not our story, his timing, not our timing. It's about God's purposes, not our agenda. And I really love this part in Zachariah's song. I mean, you know, I picture him holding his son the entire time, looking down at him, and then he says this, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, because you'll prepare the way for the Lord, you will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You, yes, your life, my little son, is to be, is to be about, I always try to talk fast when I look into the clock. Yes, your life, my little son, is to be about God's purposes. Speak of him, point to him, prepare the way for him, and tell others how to find salvation in him.
And that's what he did. Mark 1, 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Listen, our lives are to be centered on that same purpose. We are to speak of him. We're to point to him. We're to prepare the way for him and to tell people how to find salvation in him. Amen? It's about God's story, not our story. God's timing, not our timing. God's gift, not our effort. God's purposes, not our agenda. And finally, it's about God's new day, not darkness's old day. With the loving mercy of our God, and let me say something real quick about mercy of God. Number one, we do not appreciate God's mercy enough. Like, how many times you sinned today? Last week, right? I mean, we need his mercy all the time. So, number one, we don't appreciate it enough that God does not treat us as our sin deserves, right? Number two, we do not show God's mercy enough, right, to other people, right? And we need to change that. With the loving mercy of our God, a new day from heaven will dawn upon us. It will shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death. It will guide us into the path of peace. See, Christmas is about God's loving mercy being released in all its fullness. It's about a new day dawning from heaven on us. It's about his light shining on us, guiding us to the path of peace. Listen, Christmas changed everything. A new day is dawn. God's light has come. The world's darkness cannot overcome it. And the path of peace is now available for us to walk upon. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. And God, this time of year, help our focus to be correct. Not just this time of year, really, God, but our lives. Help it to be about your story, not our story. God, help us to remember that it's It's your gift. It's not our effort. God, help us to trust in your timing, even though it's hard. God, I pray for those in this room who are wanting to give up on God's promises because something they long for hasn't happened yet. Help them to continue to trust in you. And God, help us to realize that your light has shined upon us and the darkness cannot overcome it. God, help us to have our lives that are focused on you, that are centered on you, that are built upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.